Hi, I'm Joe, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, thank you for having me. Although I got a feeling it probably wasn't voted upon, but uh, even more importantly, thank you for being here because uh, <clears throat> a lot of us that live in smaller countries or whatever, uh, this is the only kind of meeting I can get to. And to be honest with you, you'd think that there's so many meetings I can get to online now, but I really, really prefer and much happier with secular. And uh, sometimes the time, the last, this past week, I've really had a hard time getting to meetings. So it's really important 12-step work that you're all doing by being here. Thank you all. <clears throat> um, I, I, haven't, I haven't told my uh, story in, in quite a while as I've lived here in Croatia now for almost five years. Uh, and there's no meetings within uh, a three-hour drive. Well, there's no English-speaking meetings within a three-hour drive of me here. So there's uh, Croatian meetings uh, I went to one once and there was 10 people there and nine of them smoked. I was the only one that didn't smoke. I don't have anything against it, but I couldn't do it. So I don't go to any meetings that are in person here for the most part. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to change my format from what I've always gone in chronological order, but I found out that I was sharing more drunk stories than, uh, than anything else than my experiences. So I'm an alcoholic, as I said, so you already know that I spent a lot of my adult years and even teen years drinking <clears throat> so I won't get into I'll get into I'll tell you two drunk stories and that's the first and my last one uh, I'm gonna share some things that I think are really important uh, <clears throat> I will state that I'm not here to try to change anybody's opinion or throw anything controversial out there but I think it's important that I say uh, <clears throat> I've been following um, this one uh doctor online, and I won't even say who he is, just so, uh, anyways. And, and he thinks that 100% um, of addiction is caused from your environment in which you grew up. Some people I know think it's 100% hereditary. Some people are half and half or any, any number there. I don't really uh, tend to have too much of an opinion, except that I do think some of it's environmental. So I wanna share my childhood uh, with you. And then, as I said, my first and last day drunk. Uh, my childhood, I was born in Buffalo Grove, Illinois, uh, which is a little, was a little farm town just outside of Chicago, about 40 miles, and uh, into a Catholic family. My mom and dad um, are uh, still married 60, God, I don't even know, 63, 64 years later. Uh, we were Catholic, and there's five uh, kids and uh, right now the age, the ages are 62 to 50 that's our age range I'm the middle child <clears throat> so if you're an ACDC fan you already know what my story is going to be about uh, I think they've got a song about the middle child and it's very accurate for me um, especially some of the language they used in it but I I was told at a very young age by my brother and I don't think he was trying to be mean he told me I was the black sheep of the family and if you knew my family, that's actually a compliment. Uh, but we are kind of uh, a whacked out little family, but they're my whacked out little family and I love them all dearly. Um, um, it, there were some strange things growing up though. Uh, neither one of my parents are alcoholics, but both of their dads were alcoholics and both of their dads when drunk would beat up their moms. So that's the environment they grew up in. Mine wasn't nearly as traumatic or, or violent, um, uh, but some strange things. Like I remember when I was very young in three or four maybe that when my mom and dad would have an argument one time, this happened three or four times maybe, my dad would call us kids around. Well, at the time there was only three of us. 
because um, the other two were born later on. And he would, and he still does this. If he wants attention from somebody, he'll say something to somebody and then be looking at someone else. It's really a weird um, uh, thing that he does. And so he looked at my mom, but he, he was talking to us kids and he said, your mom and I haven't been getting along this week. So I'm praying that the good Lord takes me. I'm thinking, oh my God, this is some really weird shit. I didn't think this was really weird shit until I was uh, probably eight or nine or so and started realizing this is bizarre. Um, I started, I came into the family and I think that's when all hell broke loose. Really. I was, uh, I would break things, get in trouble often. Um, I don't remember my first good ass whooping from my parents, but my grandma, uh, told me, um, and now obviously this is a long time ago. I'll, I'll turn 60 this May. So it was, uh, <clears throat> like 57 years ago or something. And she said, I got, a really bad ass whooping for breaking something in the house, a piece of furniture, uh, which happened quite often. I broke a lot of things. It wasn't intentional. I didn't feel like I had anger issues, things like that. Uh, I was a very slow learner as a, as a child. Uh, when I started first grade, like a week within to my first grade, I, I developed a very bad stutter, which stayed with me all the way through till uh, my early 20s. <clears throat> and uh, even a little bit into my thirties. And I was a chef out in the Chicago suburbs and stuff. And uh, uh, eventually when I moved to the South, uh, somebody asked me if I would do some uh, cooking shows on TV. And I said, yes. And I thought, you're a stutterer. Why would you say yes to be going on TV? But I did it. And I think that kind of public speaking stuff helps you get over that kind of thing. But uh, every year my mom would go to this school. I went to a Catholic grade school. Uh, for eight years and she would tell him he doesn't understand anything that he's going to school for why would you pass him and they said we don't really hold people back anymore so I always just from that alone I always thought I was stupid um, that and some of the teachers telling me I was um, basically not directly um, so besides getting in trouble I didn't get in trouble in school because if you got in trouble at school it was much worse at home uh, but growing up, uh, was a lot of trouble when I was seven. I remembered is when I started getting is, is when I can remember started getting hit. Uh, I was doing homework. It was math homework, as a matter of fact. And I think I was in second grade. Um, and my dad was homesick that day from work and he came in the room and I just looked over my shoulder and he backhanded me across the face enough to when I put my head down, blood just ran out of my nose. And uh, I remember telling my mom, uh, she was a nurse, so I had the medical treatment was on the scene quickly there. And uh, I told her, I said, I don't think I want to live here anymore. And that was seven. Um, but as I said, my parents weren't alcoholics, but their parents were. And I never really, I always knew my dad had strange, I don't know, strange, uh, behavior patterns. Um, I'd seen him drunk maybe two or three times my whole life, and I lived at home till I was 23. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, when once I got into AA, I think I realized that my dad had a lot of the same behavior patterns that his dad had. And I, I think the term dry drunk, if you want to use that term, it should be used for oneself, not for someone else. So I don't really say that often, but he certainly has a lot of the same, uh, same behavior patterns as I do as well. Um, 
So he was very difficult to get, uh, to, to get along with. Um, I remember my older sister told me once she didn't like him, uh, which is ironic. Now she's his caretaker. He's 91 now. Um, and I, I, I have come to forgive him for what happened. And, um, and I can honestly say in my heart that I love him to death. However, it's been a long, long road. Uh, we've gone several times in our life without speaking. Once when I moved in with uh, a girl that I'd been dating and he told me, he said, you used to be different. Now you're just like your average run of the mill uh, white trash or something like that. And I thought, Jesus, that was, and why I hung on the phone for another 45 minutes after that, I don't know. Um, another time I was 49, we got into a big argument and uh, it was just the way he talked to everybody. He was always wanting to fight or argue. He didn't physically fight anybody um, except for me. I didn't fight back when he hit me and he continued to hit me till I think the last time I remember I was 14 when he hit me. Um, but he went one time, I thought he was going to hit my little brother who's uh, 10 years younger than me. And I grabbed him by his arm and I was 17 at this time. And he's like, don't you ever, I said, don't you ever start hitting him like you've hit me. And so it was kind of out in the open there. And even to this day, if I were to say something to him about it, he'd say, oh, I bloodied your nose once or twice, you know, but you know, and, and my mom is not she was always an angel, like this saint person in my, in my mind. However, she backhanded me a couple times as well in the mouth. I still have a scar in my inner lip from her wedding ring, uh, cut me open. Um, and all that said, um, I kind of hesitated saying what I want to say next, but we, for the most part, I, I had all my basics covered. I never once thought that my parents didn't love me, even through all that kind of uh, getting hit and stuff like that. But that kind of stuff stuck with me for a very, very long time. Like I said, when my dad, when I was 49, my dad and I really had it out. And we went for, I don't know, months and months without speaking. And uh, I even went off and, and got married to the woman I'm married to now. And my mom sent us a card and he wouldn't even sign it. Um, he's always been very immature, um, much like myself. And uh, to this day, he still is. He's had more, more arguments and more fights in the last couple of years than, than I think he has in his whole life. But he was always fighting either the Boy Scouts or the, or the Little League or somebody. He didn't get involved in our schooling too much as my mom took care of that. But he always had to fight somebody. I remember one time I, I was up for a, a job at a country club. I was a chef and I didn't get the job, but it came down to two of us. and They chose the other guy out of 22 people. He wanted me to sue him. And I thought, well, this makes no sense to me. You know, like he was retired. I said, why haven't you learned to relax? And, uh, but it's only been getting worse as she's gotten older. So we always had, oh, and another thing, if he had a bad day at work, um, which is usually when he hit me, it was always a bad day at work. And my mom would feed us first, put us in the living room and say, you guys be really quiet. Your dad had a bad day at work. And uh, a couple of times, I know my little sister was like, let's see what happens. And she would scream. Well, he blamed me for making her scream. And I wasn't even near her. And finally, he came in and smacked me around a little bit. And she thought that was quite funny at the time. She probably doesn't remember that. Um, so that's what I grew up in. Um, and as far as um, the other, my, my siblings all did pretty well in school. My little sister was maybe a 
not much better student than I was, but the rest of them were uh, straight A, A, B students, things like that. I was at best a C student, failed a few classes. In high school, um, I started drinking. I was at uh, my friend's house. We were shooting pool and we were all drinking Sprite. And his sister came home with a bottle of Jack Daniels and she asked me if I wanted some. I said, there's not much left in my can of Sprite, so don't put much in there. Well, she filled the can up with whiskey. And uh, I was always taught to be a good and a gracious uh, uh, guest in someone's house. So I drank the entire thing at 16 years old and about uh, 120 pounds. I was very little when I was uh, younger. And so I was absolutely shit-faced. But my pool game did get better because I was losing, losing. And then all of a sudden, once I got drunk, I started winning. Also, I everything changed. I think there's a story in a big book, if I recall, about Bill Wilson, the first time he drank. And I felt like uh, my pool game got better. I became funnier. I became better looking. Uh, it was I was 16. It was the first time I, you know, I made out with a girl. And um, it was... I became like the leader of the group, which was just a hell of a thing to even think about at this point. But everything changed. My whole attitude and feeling changed. I got home at three o'clock in the morning and I had to be at work. I was a, a cook starting at the age of 16. I had to be at work at seven. And uh, I went in and I was, um, I, I felt I had no problem. I told my buddy who was also there that night, he said, man, I, I feel like shit. I said, I feel great, man. You know, we went and just got absolutely busy as hell, and uh, we stayed there and, and managed to do it. Um, um, my my last night of drinking wasn't quite um, wasn't quite the same. I remember it was uh, 2005, um, 2008, February fifteenth, and I was cooking a eight course dinner for some friends of mine. And so I started at three o'clock in the afternoon and I remember pouring a can of Guinness into a glass and toasted myself because there was no one else there and said, tonight I will not get drunk. And that night I drank more than I ever had. I, I never once, the strange thing was, I never once thought that I've had enough alcohol, I should stop drinking. I never thought that. Um, during my last six weeks of drinking, some really strange um, behaviors started happening and I still to this day don't remember them. Um, well, I don't remember most of them, but I started leaving wherever I was for like an hour or so and the cars were there and all the people were there, but they all spend an hour looking for me. Um, and I never came back cut up or muddy or anything. So to this day, I still don't know where I went and it was at different locations. Uh, and I, I fell down a flight of stairs. I climbed up on a a roof of a house. It was a very high house, one of those old beach houses on the East Coast. Matter of fact, I was in uh, Folly Beach, South Carolina. And I climbed up on a on the roof of this house to take a picture of the sunset, which, <laughs> and to tell you how drunk I was, I, I had an autofocus camera and I couldn't even get that to take a, a, a non-blurry picture of the sunset. So um, I backed out through a garage door once I thought I opened it and I did not. So all these weird things started happening more than ever. Some things that I never had happened, I was lucky enough not to have happened in my drinking days, um, was I never had a DUI. I never got fired from a job. I never cheated on a partner. Um, I was never homeless. I stayed away from really uh, hard drugs. I did a few things like uh, weed and 
and uh, hash and mushrooms and things like that, which I thought if they were natural, they weren't bad for you. Um, so I, I, um, I remember I got divorced my first time in 1992. And I remember the day of my divorce, uh, which was November 26th. That was the day I, I, I still say to this day, that's the day my whole life changed and I became an alcoholic because I started drinking alcoholically from that day on. Before that, I was racing a lot in triathlons, duathlons and road races. So if I wanted to perform well, I couldn't drink much. So I would only have a beer or a glass of wine or something at night until the weekends after the race was over. Um, but once I went through my first divorce, I really get, I started getting hammered. And for the next 15 years, I drank a lot. I never drank uh, 24 hours a day. I would drink when I got home from work. Um, and towards the end, that was three or four hours a night, but I was drinking a half a bottle of uh, scotch at that point. And so I'm sorry, I kind of jumped around back to my last day of drinking, which was when I cooked for those eight friends. The next day I woke up, I still remember the clock. It said 1.23 in the afternoon, and I was supposed to be on a bike ride with a cycling group. And I thought, oh, my God, I can't. I don't even think I can walk. Besides, they left already, I'm sure. And I, uh, my second wife came into the room, and she's like, it's the first time she ever said this because she was a party girl. She liked to drink. She said, you really drank a lot last night. And I started crying. She said, what's wrong with you? I said, I can't ever drink again. And she said, why not? I said, because if I do, I'm going to mess up this marriage. And when I looked at her in the eye, then I remembered right then I had a thought that said, you just ruined this marriage by telling her that I wasn't going to drink anymore. Um, the other thing that uh, I remember from that day that I woke up was um, I thought to myself, uh, you know, mom and dad showed you, and I know my childhood story may not sound like the Brady Bunch and it wasn't, but still my parents taught me and showed me how to live a respectable life. And I said, you've pissed all that away and you don't live anything like that anymore. And wouldn't it be kind of nice to start living a better life? And I said, you know, so at that point, um, my wife and I lasted one year to that day. And uh, we split up one year later um, into my sobriety. Um, so during my first, well, within about 10 months of my, of getting sober, I, um, I lost my job. That's back in like 09 when the uh, stock market was having a rough time. Real estate was definitely having a rough time where I lived, which was Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, and so I lost my job. I had to sell my, I had to ask my wife to buy me out of the house. Uh, I had to sell my little sports car that I had. And it was a rough period of time, but I stayed sober. Um, to this point, when I said I was going to stay, I was going to stop drinking, I, I didn't think, matter of fact, I even told my wife, I said, I will never do any of that AA shit though. And two hours later, I, I, I said to her, I said, do you think your friend so-and-so would help me find an AA meeting? It'd been two hours and I knew I wasn't going to make it through the end of the day if I didn't have something. And then um, I had to go away on business, which I was a private chef at that point. So I went back <laughs> to Folly Beach. No one does business in Folly Beach unless, it's, uh, unless you're a restaurant owner. I went back there and a friend of mine uh, ran into me and uh, 
he said, hey, you want to get together? I said, yeah, but I got to tell you, I don't drink anymore. He said, don't, I don't either. I said, wow, how great is that? However, we decided to get high. So we smoked some pot. And the only thing I could think about then was, was uh, drinking a bottle of scotch because smoking weed and then smoky scotch, I thought, what a great combination. But I told myself not to leave the apartment and I would be okay. Uh, instead of smoking, instead of uh, going out to get uh, alcohol, I ate an entire box of Honey Nut Cheerios, <laughs> which uh, went very well with the weed. Uh, so I, I guess I didn't remember that that had happened until I was sober for a year and a half. And one night, about 10 o'clock at night, I called my sponsor and I said, I just remembered something. I've been celebrating my anniversary on the 16th, but I smoked pot on the 18th. So it's really the 19th. I said, what kind of like, am I in deep shit or what? And he was laughing so hard. He said, the fact you're even concerned about this is good. He said, do you want to change your date? I said, yeah, I have to. So it's February 19th of 2008, <clears throat> which I just uh, celebrated 14 years here recently. And I haven't, uh, I haven't relapsed. And I always say I haven't relapsed yet. Not that I look forward to it, but I know it is something that can happen at any time. So uh, when I first moved here to Croatia, and we moved to Croatia because, uh, well, my wife is Croatian, and I wanted to go do something else anyways. We were both teaching at the time. I was teaching culinary arts at a middle school in North Carolina, and she was teaching uh, science and uh, math at a private school. And she was working about 80 hours a week. Um, and so uh, this is kind of back in what, like 2016, and of course, her being an immigrant, she started having some problems with students bringing, not at the private school, she was working at a public school until they started bringing knives into her class and threatening her and bullets into the classroom and things like that. And so uh, she started feeling like she wasn't safe. So she wanted to move out of the country. And so we moved here to Croatia and we've been living here for the last, uh, well, since 2017. And I pretty much quit going to meetings. I went to a couple early on. There's about four of us um, in Zagreb, the capital. And there was a former professor from uh, University of Colorado there who lives here now. And uh, the meetings were good for four people. It was great. Um, but then I moved away from that area once we bought a house and now we live on the coast here and there are no meetings around here. I tried to do online meetings a couple of times. This was before Zoom and before COVID. And the last online meeting I remember doing, this lady copied and pasted readings from the Bible. I'm not talking the blue book or the, the big book, I'm talking about her Bible. And she wanted to know why nobody had anything to say. So I just turned my computer off. And that was the last meeting I think I did for uh, about three years until, uh, until COVID. So if I can think of anything good about COVID at all, which is hard to, but getting these meetings on Zoom has been an absolute um, wonderful thing for, for people like me. I know when I go back to Asheville and I haven't been since COVID, uh, people would say, well, there's meetings all over the place. How could you not? It's like, I don't drive three hours away on the way home from the grocery store or something, you know, it's like three hours away, we have one car. So I, I didn't make it to meetings. People think because meetings are all over the world, they're right next door to you, uh, which is not the case. So these meetings online are absolutely amazing. And I mean, if I can't sleep, I can still find one at, you know, one or two in the morning. This past week, for whatever strange reason, I 
had a hard time finding uh, some meetings to go to. Um, is, so being sober in Croatia is an incredibly unique experience. Um, Croatia is a very small country. It's down to about three and a half million people for the whole country right now. Um, so it's 123rd population size in the in the out of 196 countries or so, but they're ninth in the world for beer consumption. People, you'll go buy some bars or so forth. Coffee bars here and bars, alcoholic bars are the same bars. So if you go for a cup of coffee, everyone around you might be uh, smoking and drinking. And smoking here still is a big thing. <clears throat> and for me, that's that's difficult as I have some breathing issues at this point in my life. Uh, but I've I've have uh, I've been told here I, I was in um, I don't know a couple of times people wanted to buy me a drink or whatever, and I said no, I don't drink. And then they said, well, you're not a real man if you don't drink. And so I was kayaking one day with a, and I told the instructor they said that, and he laughed. He said, let me tell you something. And he said, if a Croatian man told you you're not living your life right because you're not drinking alcohol, he said, take that as a compliment because most of them drink from morning till night. And maybe not most of them, you know, but there's a lot of alcohol consumption here. We've had some uh, work done on our house a few times and we told the contractor, this isn't a job where you can come drink. He said, every job is a drinking job. He said, we said, not here, you know, so... He ended up firing a few people, um, but so there's a lot of alcohol consumption and people, my family worried about me because they say, you know, doesn't that make you want to drink? And I say, honestly, when I see and hear drunks or heavy drinkers now, none, nothing about that makes me want to drink. Um, that's the furthest thing from my mind. I think I find it horrible. I find it juvenile. I find it all the things that I was, and I look back at my behavior and what a, what a, I was like a 15 year old boy when I was 45, when I quit drinking. Um, we also live about a kilometer from a music venue and the music, there's six or seven concerts in the summer and it's all electronic music. So it's like half of England comes over here and they're doing ecstasy and they party sometimes four or five days without going home. And it's really a crazy atmosphere. And once again, I've never been tempted by anything I've seen there. Um, <clears throat> so I feel good about where my sobriety is most of the time. And when I say sobriety, I mean, physical sobriety. Um, I wish I could say my emotional sobriety was in a much better state. I've battled anxiety in my entire life. Um, depression is very, uh, very much of a big deal in our, in our family. I've got two siblings that are bipolar. Um, the one commits, uh, the one threatens to commit suicide every two or three months. Um, uh, and so, you know, and I have another sister who stays busy from five in the morning till one, the following morning, I'm not sure what she's, what she's trying to avoid, but our family's pretty chaotic and pretty dramatic, pretty just full of drama. That's why, uh, the next couple of things that I'm going to talk about, I haven't, I haven't discussed with my family for the most part. Uh, back in August of this year, and I think a lot of you probably, those of you that come to this meeting regularly, I've, I have discussed this year, I was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is not curable. It is uh, treatable, <clears throat> which means I'm probably going to die from it, but we don't know when, which 
That's kind of like life though. We're all gonna die from life, but we don't know when. Um, so I'm not too worried about that. I'm not really afraid of dying. Um, it's a damn good time for me in my life to be sober. I can tell you that. I can't imagine. I don't have to imagine. I have a, 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 an, a friend of mine from 35 years ago. We hadn't talked in probably 30 years. He and I discovered we have the same cancer. We have the same first name and we're the same age. We have the same cancer, except he's still drinking a 12 pack a night. And I just can't imagine what, uh, what that would be like. So I'm very grateful to be sober going through cancer. I've already been through my chemo treatments and I'm coming up on uh, ending my, um, my immunotherapy. I've got one more round of that to go through, which I don't know if the side effects are just as bad as chemo sometimes. Uh, the other thing is that a couple of weeks ago, my wife, I actually it was a month ago, my wife told me she wants to separate, <clears throat> which Sounds absolutely horrible. That's what someone told me. How horrible to leave her husband when he's got cancer. I don't know. I mean, we're not, you know, we have what we do here in Croatia for a living. We have Airbnb. So we have four apartments. Uh, we live in one and we rent out three. So I'll be living in, in a little cottage out back. So we'll still be living on the same, um, on the same premises, same property. Uh, I think what will probably happen is we'll become better friends again, like we used to be. We have not been getting along since we moved here and trying to run a business together. And it's been an absolute nightmare. And uh, the only reason I didn't do it is probably because uh, I'm, I'm more codependent than, than, my, uh, than my wife or my future ex-wife, or I'm not sure how to call it. Um, and, you know, um, I'm heartbroken over it. I joke about it sometimes. I'm still heartbroken over it. It's, it's difficult to, uh, to uh, accept. And to be honest with you, I, have, um, I haven't really wanted a drink. I have wanted to smoke pot during this time. I have not touched anything. Uh, if I wanted to, um, there is alcohol here at our house, which we keep for people give us alcohol all the time when they come to visit and they come to stay or whatever, they bring alcohol. And my wife doesn't drink either. She's not in the program, nor does she uh, need to be. She's does not have an addictive personality. Um, so there's a lot going on in my life right now. And, um, but once again, kind of circling back to how I started this off is, is, you know, having these, these meetings, um, is, is the most important thing in my life right now, because I've, I haven't told anyone in my family about my wife and I separating. Uh, I just can't imagine that would go well. And they're already trying to steal after six or seven months, except my cancer. And they haven't dealt with it that well. They keep imagining this is happening and that's happening. And I'm keeping things from them and which I am now about my personal relationship, but I'm not about cancer. I've told them everything. Every time I have treatment, I send them a message and tell them what's going on. So uh, anyways, the, if, if, you ever, if you ever have second thoughts on going to a meeting, uh, this will be my last plug for online. Thank you for all of you who do this 12-step work. I owe you my sobriety because I really feel I'm still sober uh, because you all keep coming back here and doing this. Um, and if, if you um, don't feel like sharing at a meeting, that is some of the toughest shares I've heard in my life of what kept me sober and what keep me coming back to, to uh, 
the meetings. So I can honestly say today, when I first came into the rooms, I heard people say, I'm grateful to be a recovering alcoholic. I said, that lady is out of her freaking mind. She is so full of shit. And I said that every time she said that, and I learned to hate that lady because she said that. And uh, years later, I ran into her and she was the sweetest lady and we had great conversations. But I am absolutely honored uh, to be here uh, as a sober alcoholic with all of you. Thank you very much for letting me speak tonight. That's all I've got.